0: Amen. All right. Well, guys, it's a joy to gather with you guys. Like Jeremy said, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor of Mercy Fellowship. And, and um, you know, if I was telling you if I'm from another part of the country, I'd say I'm in the Seattle area. Um, but I mean, really, we're like 45 minutes away. Um, so we're like, you know, chat adjacent uh, up there. Um, and so like being from that area, it's kind of like you guys here. When you are um, telling people from other parts of the country where you live, you tell them Coeur d'Alene. And we know you're in Rathdrum. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, just own it. It's fine. we're kind of in that that area, Uh church named Mercy Fellowship, um, and we've been part of Acts 29 for years, uh, been uh, big fans of all of life, I think kind of helped uh, do some early support as you guys were getting planted. And uh, Jared said, hey, can you come in during sabbatical uh, and help preach one of these weeks? And I was like, you mean my family gets to come to North Idaho in the middle of summer? Yeah, that's going to be really suffering for the gospel. I mean, I woke up this morning and walked around Tubbs Hill. It was awesome. It was a great day. Um, and for our family, being from western Washington, um, other side of the mountains, this is as close to America as we get, um, getting to come over here. And so like when we cross the border into Idaho, our whole family just kind of exhales um, and we're like, all right, we made it through. Um, so um, Jared said, hey, I, we're going to be preaching through Matthew. Uh, I want you to just kind of preach in our series and uh, well that sounds great. And he said, and I'm gonna send you the verses and in advance he says, I'm sorry. I was like, well what do you what do you mean? I'm like, you know, Matthew, you got Sermon on the Mount, you got some great stuff. Jesus teaching got some parables. He's like, Yeah, I'm giving you the one where like a bunch of weeds burn forever. And that's like your intro to our church. So that's where we're at today, um, is Matthew 13. If you have your Bibles, we you have the scripture journals, which we give those out at our church in whatever series we're in. So love getting to see those. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30. And then again in 34 through 43. And I don't know how y'all roll, but I'm just going to kind of hit the verses, stop and talk, hit the verses, stop and talk. And so, um, Jesus is in this section in Matthew 13 where he's teaching people in parables. And parables are really just small stories to give a big idea about a great Jesus. And like I said, this is kind of a bit of a fun one. And so I just wanted to, wanted to ask you this morning, like, just how are you doing? How are you doing as you're coming in? have you been doing the last couple of years? Because if it's anything like me or our church or our country or community, I have to imagine that there's some feelings of discouragement at times maybe some feelings of disorientation, and maybe even moments where these last couple of years have maybe in a sense weakened your resiliency. Maybe they've muddied the waters on what it means to follow Jesus or how the world works, and you're kind of disoriented. And for the people of the time that Jesus was preaching and teaching, they had gone and were going through a very difficult season. They're under Roman oppression. They're facing poverty. They've, they've got, they've got, um, kind of religious legalism over them. They're being run by a pagan nation. They've got government corruption. Like, there's crazy sexuality uh, everywhere. And like, there's, what, what, how did we need to make sense of this? And so Jesus shows up on the scene, and as he's preaching and teaching, what he is doing is he's pointing people to a better kingdom led by a better king. And so he's trying to give some people some good news, some good teaching, to try to give them some some great hope. And a lot of what Jesus was doing in these teachings was trying to to reveal uh, and to point to them character and nature of God and his kingdom and his values, and then how we live in response uh, to that. And so today we have this parable that's going to show a bit of like, like what does growth look like? What does resiliency look like? What does clarity look like in the kingdom of God? We're going to see an enemy who's sowing destruction. We're going to see a God showing discernment. And we're going to see clear differentiation that should give us some encouragement to endure in this season and to evangelize to a world that is either headed for destruction or headed towards redemption. And in so many of these parables, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is like this, and that's how he begins this one. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's turn to Matthew 13, verse 24. And maybe today... Jesus, in his words, can be our great teacher, and I hope if nothing else, Jesus becomes or is our greatest treasure. All right, Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, says this, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So the servant said to him, well, then what do you want us to to go and and gather them? But he said, no, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let, Let them both grow together until harvest. And at harvest time, I'll send the reapers. Gather the weeds first, bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, so what's, what's the story? What's, what's Jesus addressing here? Jesus is talking to, to all these large crowds of people. They're gathered around Jesus. People have been very interested in either Jesus' teaching, it was countercultural. Um, people were like, hey, I heard Jesus is like kind of giving free food out um, at, at these deals. That's kind of a nice deal. Some other people are like, hey, I need some, some healing. Uh, some of it's spiritual. Some of it's physical. They, they're wanting something from Jesus. You, you have people who are like, I just want Jesus to line up with my political agenda. And, and in all of that, they're looking for for something that's going to actually lead to life, something that's going to actually lead to joy. Jesus is saying, hey, in, in this context, I just want to teach you, what does it mean to be one of my disciples? What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be one of my followers? Because... Just being near Jesus, just hearing Jesus' teaching, just being around other people who follow Jesus does not necessarily make you a disciple of Jesus. So Jesus wants to kind of give some clarity, and he tells this parable of wheat and weeds. And I mean, I mean he starts off with, with wheat, and you know, wheat is great. Huge fan of wheat. After I walked around Tubbs Hill, I found this bakery next to the park, and they used wheat to make a cheddar jalapeno bagel. Uh, and inside, they put in eggs and sausage and cream cheese, and it was delicious. I love wheat. Wheat's fantastic. Uh, I mean, if you have a gluten allergy, I'm sorry for you. Uh, I, I also have one, but I just power through, uh, right? Um, and so that's fine. Yep. So, so like, I think we get wheat, right? Wheat's a good thing. But then he talks about weeds. And, and weeds, some of the translations might call this tares. I never use that term. But it actually is a specific term, and it's referring to a weed named Darnell. And Darnell um, was a weed that was very popular, very uh, uh, common uh, in Judea at that time. And and if you look at the definition of it, it says it is an injurious weed. So not just a weed, it's a weed that that hurts, the weed that sucks and takes life away. But what was interesting about Darnell, and I I really had to look all this up because I can barely like mow my own lawn. Uh, Okay, so I don't know how this stuff works. But um, what happens is you look at this weed and Darnell resembles wheat in its stalk and it resembles wheat as a seed and yet its grain or what it produces is absolutely worthless and so this plant would have similar seeds and when it would begin to grow in the field it would look like you just had a field of wheat And it would be growing and growing and and you're just going along and and you're watering uh, and you're cultivating and you're trying to protect. Maybe you do a, I don't know, a scarecrow, something like that. Again, I'm not a farmer, okay? But you're putting the effort in and you think a a harvest is coming and and it just looks like you have this this field of wheat. And yet, these weeds produce absolutely nothing. It starts to grow and after a time of cultivating, you realize, oh man, as things move towards maturity, you're like, I thought I had a field of wheat. And what I really have is a field full of weeds. And if you're a farmer and that's your livelihood and that's, and that's how you feed your family, and that's how you integrate and provide for your community, you are like devastated. What do, what do we do? And so uh, the master, said it said, had sown good seed. He has some workers that have come up and they're like, they're kind of confused. They're kind of coming at the master. Hey, I thought you knew what you were doing, master. Like, I thought you got your Jacqueline seed and you've put it out there, but like, we've done that now. And like, now it's like, there's a whole bunch of weeds. And maybe you're like, well, you know, weeds happen, right? It's a chaotic world. No, the master says, no, no, this was intentional. He said, no, uh, this wasn't an accident. This wasn't an act of chance. This was an act of an active enemy. He's come in and he's sown these weeds into our field. And a commentator, a theologian R.C. Sproul, commenting on these verses, he said this was actually something that would happen in the ancient world um, that that neighbors and enemies would go into their neighbor fields or their rival fields, or if there was there was kind of tribal vengeance going back and forth, and they would do this to the fields of their enemies, and it was so destructive. Yes, to those families, but also to the community. It was an act of agro-terrorism. That Even the pagan Roman government was like, "Uh uh-uh. You get caught doing that, we treat you like a criminal. And I think if we know our Bibles and we know the history of our King Jesus, we know how Rome takes care of criminals. It was a very, very serious offense. And so... um, the, the workers are like, okay, hey, we got a problem, right? We got weeds, we got wheat. How, how are we going to uh, address this? They're like, hey, can we just start ripping up weeds? As we see a weed? just start ripping, just start ripping. it Because they're like, we want to see this field really, really produce. And, and the master's wise. He says, yeah, hey, laborers, I know your heart. I know you want to make this field as pure as possible. I know We wanna have a good, healthy yield. The problem we have is that while these weeds and wheat have grown up together, the seed got sowed together. Their their roots are now intertwined. They're now connected. And if we start going about the work of tearing up all these weeds, we're going to damage our wheat in the process. And we're gonna lose all of it. And so the master preaches patience. And he says, hey, we're just gonna trust the process on this one. We're gonna wait until growing season is done. He says, don't worry guys, there's a time of harvest coming. And then at that time, when we're finally ready for the harvest, we'll go send some reapers out, we'll have them pull all the weeds, all the weeds will gather together, and we'll just go burn those, we'll just do a burn pile. He's like, "Then all the wheat, we'll just take what's left, we'll take that wheat and we'll bring it into the barn. It'll be secure, it'll be home, and we'll take the yield at that point. And the master's so, so wise. And so Jesus just kind of tells that story. End of sermon. Service is done. People are scattering. And it's like, well, okay, that was, that was something. Most of the people had some agricultural knowledge, so they're kind of like, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's really a bad thing to to happen, you know? And so if you skip ahead in Matthew uh, 13, verse 34 and 35, it's this. All these things Jesus said to the crowd in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. So like, why would Jesus teach this way? Why would Jesus just kind of give a story, an illustration, not explain it at all, and just kind of mic drop, peace out a bit? Well, in telling a parable, earlier in Matthew 13, I think last week you guys looked at the parable of the sower, uh, maybe um, your preacher that week kind of walked through some earlier stuff here in Matthew 13. But but he says, hey, there was actually a purpose to why Jesus would preach in parables. Here it's saying, hey, it's fulfilling a prophecy. This is a promise about who Jesus is, who the Christ would be, who the Savior King of God's people would be. But there's another purpose that says, hey, we're gonna speak or Jesus is gonna speak in these small stories, big ideas, pointing to a great Jesus. Because It's going to reveal the condition of the hearts of the hearers. So for some people, they're going to hear the story. It's going to resonate right away. The Spirit's going to move in such a way they're like, I get that. Okay, I see myself in the story. I see the application. But for other people, not led by the Spirit, opposed to Jesus, it just causes more opposition. It causes more confusion, more more differentiation, but also disconnection from the God who made us. And so that's why Jesus preaches this way, that apart from an act of the Holy Spirit, our hearts are an active rejection of God in favor of what we think will give us happiness. And Jesus desperately desires us to, desi- to desire and want more than we maybe even want for ourselves. So he doesn't want you to be satisfied with the good days. I mean, like I said this morning, I'll just be cards on the table. This was a good morning for Chris Rich to get to walk around Tubbs Hill, have a couple cups of coffee, uh, have a bagel breakfast sandwich, get to come here and gather with you guys, put you guys to sleep, leave and go to lunch, and then we'll all go hit the lake later, right? Um, Like, this is a good day. But like, even in that, as I was walking around Tubbs Hill, I was like, God, this is so glorious. I was like, oh, heaven's better. Eternity with God and Jesus is better. And also, God doesn't want us to be so discouraged on the bad days that we forget that there's a king who's over what's going on in our earthly kingdoms. So he teaches in these parables to stir our hearts' affections, to want more. It's it's, it's a good and right longing. And so... I mean, if I just kind of wrap things up here, you're like, that's, that's cool. I guess I'm. If, it does, if this sermon didn't make sense for you, then you don't have the spirit, you know, whatever. If the sermon made sense for you, good, you, you've got it. Go team, go. But, but thankfully, Jesus is incredibly gracious to us. And so um, what, what happens next is, you know, the, the teaching's done. Um, Jesus comes back with his whole leadership team, with all the disciples. They're all kind of gathered around. And, and then we're going to see Jesus explain this to them in verses 36 through 43, says this. Then he left the crowds and he went to the house. And his disciples came to him saying, "Uh, explain to us the parable of the weeds and of the field. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field's the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all law breakers. Throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place... There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So like, what does this all mean? We, we need some answers to what this story actually means. And so the disciples, they heard the, the teaching. They were there in the crowd, you know, maybe maybe even a couple thousand people, you never know. It, Jesus did small groups, big crowds, all things. And, and after everybody else goes away, you know, because nobody raised a hand during that to be like, well, what did that mean? And so they, they all go home. Maybe they're having a meal. We don't know. And the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, yeah, you, hey, dude, that great sermon. Um, you had like a lot of really good stories. Um, I mean, we get it, like, we get what the parable of the weeds is, but just because like, we're on the leadership team, it'd be really great if like, we could explain it to other people. So can you just like, explain it to us the way you'd want us to explain it to them? I mean, we get it. No, 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 right? No, really, what they did, like, hey, Jesus, can you explain it to us like we're five? Right, just make this kindergarten simple. And and I I love Jesus, right? They're confused, and he's just like super gracious. And and Jesus, um, right? He's not like a like kind of a wishy-washy small group leader who like reads the text, didn't have any questions prepared, and just kind of goes. So, what what do you think it means to you? Do do you see yourself in the story? No, no. Jesus, like, no, I came to teach. Jesus is is the great teacher. He's also the savior king of God's people. So when Jesus teaches, it's with authority. And so Jesus doesn't say, well, it's a story. It can mean whatever you want it to mean. He says, no, this story has a meaning. I am the storyteller. I am the author and perfecter of your faith. I am the author of all of creation. I spoke creation into existence. That means every word had purpose and power. This word has purpose and power. So this message has a very specific meaning. And he begins to just explain it. Just bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. Point one. Sower of the good seed, that's Jesus, okay? That's Jesus. He says, the son of man. That's how Jesus would refer to himself often. So right away, we're like, hey, the, the, the hero of this story, the central focus of this story isn't how we see the world. How we see the world is the center of the story is who? Me. How do I see the world? The world revolves around me. No, Jesus says, this is a story that is not your story. It's a story about Jesus. It's not a story necessarily about you, but it absolutely is a story that is for you. The main character, the hero of the story is Jesus. And so what's being sown isn't an ideology What's being sown is confirmation of the identity of Jesus as the Savior King of God's people. That Jesus was on a mission to the world to bring abundant life with great intentionality and and, and it's a life that, that works under and through the framework of the kingdom of God. Okay, that's verse 37. Verse 38, he says, the field is the world the world the field is a place that was created and cultivated by god to be a place that is intentionally life-giving right fields have a purpose right fields are there to be cultivated fields are there to produce life some interpretations of this parable think that the field re- refers to the church actually And not just the whole world abroad, but but the the reality is, this parable plays on a couple different levels. So there's applications that we'll see that are for the church, the people of God, gathered together, and there's applications for the world that we live in and interact in. All right, 38 news. The good seed, he says, real simple. That's the sons of the kingdom. You can say sons of daughters of the kingdom. These are disciples of Jesus. He's saying there's basic gospel 101 here. That, that in Christ, when your faith and hope is in Jesus, that you go from being actually a spiritual orphan to being spiritually adopted, being given new life, and now you're part of a new family with a new inheritance. And so you go in repentance from sin to being a forgiven sinner, a former rebel, now a citizen saint, an heir of the kingdom. And some of you, if you grew up in church, or if you consider yourself a Christian or a disciple of Jesus, you're like, yeah, yeah, I want that. I signed up for that. Like, like, no, no, I don't want to be defined by my bloodline. I want to be defined by Jesus shed blood in my place. I don't want to be tied to the legacy of my parents before me, but I want to have an eternity that's tied to a forever family with no more sin, suffering, or tears. Like, we're like yeah, we want that. We signed up for that. There's this idea of the wheat as this, you know, the sons and daughters of the king, that then you were meant, you were sown, you were made to grow and produce something that is life-giving, something that is abundant, something that brings joy. We're made for growth. We're made for life. And yet, we also know that we experience adversity, right? We also know that we don't live and exist in a perfect cultivated field, perfectly protected field. We, we realize that as we grow, especially if your faith is in Jesus, as, as you grow and mature spiritually, as you go through your life, you, you, you find that, oh, there, there's more and more struggles as I go through this. And there's a reason for that. Jesus in the parable says, yeah, there was an enemy that sowed the seed. He's like, let me just tell you who the enemy is. It's your political opponents. It's Trump. It's the Democrats. That's, you know, that's not who He says, he says, you "No." Know, he says, "There's a real enemy. There's a real spiritual enemy. It's the devil. The, the reason we struggle, the reason we have pain, the reason that we have suffering in the world is because we don't grow up in a perfect, ideal environment. That we have a world that is impacted and infected with sin. That the world that we live in has a real enemy." Real sin, real destruction, real challenges. And what that does is it robs us of joy. It keeps us from full fruitfulness. It maims, it wounds. And this enemy, he says, came into this place of order, this place cultivated for life. And, and as much as the, the master was being intentional at cultivating life, the enemy was intentional at cultivating death and destruction. This isn't the first time we've seen something like this in the Bible. The reality is right right early in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, God has placed men and women in a garden, a cultivated place and space of joy, of communion, of intimacy, of life. And what happens? An enemy comes in and sows a seed of disobedience and disconnection from God getting created beings to believe somehow a lie that they will be better off, that you will be better off, disconnected from the source of life, disconnected from the creator who made you with purpose, that you will actually get life abundant and full and better away from God, that God's somehow holding out on you than you will actually being in communion with the God who made you. For purpose and for power. There was rejection of God, there was reliance of self, and ultimately it leads to death and destruction. And you're like, you know, I know the Bible a little bit, like they like ate some fruit, they disobeyed, like what's the big deal? Well, that, that sin, sin separates us. It separates us from the God who made us. It separates us from one another in shame. And it separates us from ourselves, Right, as, as we become disembodied souls and we, we, we start to loathe even ourselves, right? You, you ever have moments of self-loathing, moments of self-doubt? Or are you like, no, no, I never have that. Okay, so you have pride, right? <laughs> it all leads to separation. And if you're separated from the source of life, joy, and purpose in the world, you will not last and flourish for eternity, but you will perish And so he says here, there's weeds. The weeds, he says, the sons of the evil one. That the result of the enemy's work in the world are actually people whose spiritual parentage, if you will, is not child of the king, but sons of the devil. Other places in the Bible, like Ephesians chapter two, says that our spiritual condition apart from God is that we are children of wrath, Destined for destruction. That's what our spiritual condition is apart from the grace and the mercy of God. That there are actually people spiritually who are antagonistic to life and joy and purpose to come following Jesus. And, And I mean, just a few words on weeds, okay? Like, we get wheat, we like wheat, right? Bread, go team, go, right? Weeds are lame right? Nobody's ever been like, hey, um, come on over to my house. I want to show off my my weed collection in the backyard. Well, okay, I'm from Western Washington, so people do that, but it's a different kind of deal. Everything is legal in Washington. Not everything is profitable in Washington, okay? Right, but like nobody's like, hey, come check out my weeds. No, because weeds are lame. Weeds suck. And so like, like um, a couple years ago, my, my family, we were on vacation and we were watching um, this Netflix series called Down to Earth. Uh, I think it's because my wife just likes Zac Efron. I don't know. Um, but he like goes around the world and, uh, and, and he goes to all these different places uh, and they go to this hippie commune in South America um, and, and all the people that are there, they just gather from the ground and the guy says something that sounds super spiritual. He said, weeds are just plants that haven't found their purpose yet, man. I don't know if he said man. I just kind of remember him kind of a hippie. And and like, that's a nice thought, but no. Like weeds, no, no. Flowers have a purpose, right? Beauty. We like wheat, right? Makes tortillas that wrap up steak burritos, right? They have purpose. They're life giving. Weeds only consume. They only choke out that which actually brings life. And what's interesting about the enemy sowing these like, like weeds in there, the enemy doesn't care about the weeds. He's not like, oh, these are my children. I want to take care of them. He's like, I just want them to exist, to discourage abundant life from, from happening. To divide and devour life for the children of God. And so like I said, this this parable plays on a couple different levels, both both the world in general, but also in the the church. So like we said, the, the, the weeds, specific weeds, they look like wheat. They grow up among wheat. Their roots are entangled with wheat, but they're not wheat. Sometimes in the church, there are people spiritually who are weeds who look like wheat, they say the things, they do the things, they, you know, you know, they're here every week, whatever, I don't know. But they take life, they take energy, they suck up resources, and they choke out growth. And they might even harm or discourage the growth of the wheat. They produce nothing. Like no one should spiritually aspire to be a weed. Like that's what I, what I hope for myself, right? That we shouldn't be satisfied being a weed. Like, oh yeah, well, I'm a plant. I'm growing. I just don't bear any fruit. I don't produce any life. Like, like you get to the point in this parable, and it should actually lead you to a bit of tension. To, to a bit of, I hope, humble self-reflection. It's okay to start asking the question, who am I in the story now? Because, Jesus' teaching raises this question of what your spiritual condition is. And and Jesus doesn't believe in a spiritual spectrum of identities. No, Jesus is very much binary. There are two spiritual conditions he lays out. There are believers, the wheat, born again children of God who love the Father who trust in Jesus, who hate sin, who are citizens of the kingdom, who, whose intention and purpose is to grow, to produce life and joy for those around them, to pursue even purity, to repent of sin, to practice life in the kingdom. And there's unbelievers, spiritual weeds, children of wrath, who either cooperate with the devil, imitate the devil, or you're like, no, no, that's not me. I'm not like, like that. I'm a good American. Like, I don't, you know, I, I'm not a bad person. Just indifferent to God. All the same category spiritually. Who ultimately bring worthless destruction, who do not enjoy communion with God now or forever. And so maybe like, especially like if you're in church leadership or, or you're like, you know, you're a Christian and, and you've been around for a while. Maybe you're, you're, you think, okay, I've got the application down for this, for this parable. The application for sure has to be like, let's be hyper-focused on weeding out those sinners. Like let's start scouring the social media pages of everybody here in the church and just see like who posted that they watched something on Netflix they weren't supposed to oh who had a couple too many drinks at one place? Oh, who, who sinned here? Like, let's just start hunting it out. No, that's, that's not the application. Well, surely then the application must be, we as the church should go confront all the sin in the world. It is our job to be a prophetic voice, to tell the world they're all going to hell. You keep voting that way, you keep acting that way, you keep identifying that way, that's it. You're a weed, Burn. You forget, and we forget who we are in the story. See, we're either weeds or we're wheat. None of us in the story are the reapers. None of us in the story are the master. In fact, Jesus says, hey, the reapers, those are gonna be the angels. They're gonna come in, they're gonna sort it all out. In fact, he says, what's gonna happen in the interim before the time of harvest The wheat and the weeds are just gonna have to coexist. They're gonna have to grow up together. See, there is a field. So as Christians, we need to have a disposition of being kind and gracious. And yeah, I mean, to be clear, there's discernment, right? There's there's church discipline, right? There's who is or isn't qualified for leadership. Like, that's all... I just want you to know, the application of this, and our job as Christians, is not to be hyper-focused on determining who is a weed and who is a wheat. It's not even our job to uproot all of the weeds. And so we can be so excited to, to make our churches pure, so excited to, to, to shift the culture uh, and, and you know bring Christendom back, right? There's going to be peer churches, peer communities, peer countries, right? We're just one more election away. Then we'll solve it. We're just one more move away. I came from California. Now I'm in Idaho. and I'm like, oh, wow. Like, Coeur too liberal. Maybe I'll go to Athol. You know, right? Like, I don't know what it is for you. Too close to home? Okay. Hey, I just couldn't get my house sold fast enough. So otherwise, I'd be here with you guys, okay? Right? No, no. That there's no pure churches, there's no pure communities, there's no pure countries until the time of harvest. And then the one who does it is the reapers or the workers, the angelic workers of God who end up sorting this all out. So we need to have a posture of humility and grace. Because in the story, we all start spiritually as weeds. We all have sin. We all start as unbelievers. So this is a hard saying for us, but what that means is spiritually speaking, you can't just blanket say, we're all children of God. Oh, n- now you can say we're all made in the image and likeness of God. That means every individual is worthy of dignity and honor and respect. But again, spiritually speaking, there are those who've been adopted into the family through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And there are those who are spiritual orphans, spiritual rebels, so that's why we believe that the gospel is just such good news. That, that God saw fit. It, when you were a spiritual weed, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were a spiritual weed, God says, I'll die for that weed so that weed can become wheat. And so we're patient and we, we wait for God to do the work in people's lives. So he says in verse 39 that there is harvest and there is reapers. He says, that's the end of the age and the angels are the ones that sort that out. But not only do we figure out who we are in the story, they're all spiritual weeds and by God's grace, we can become wheat, but we have to know where, when in the story we are. And we are still in that time of the story where wheat and weeds are growing up together where you might go about your life with a lot of other people spiritually who end up just producing some amazing spiritual fruit that blesses others, and you're like, huh, I just feel disconnected. That might be a diagnostic question for you to ask, am I weed or am I a weed? You might have other people that grow up with you. Last week, I think you did the parable of the sower. Is that right? That, that, man, that just gets more and more real for me as I go along my life as a Christian, that, that sometimes you're growing up with other people in the church with you. And you're like, I thought we were all wheat. Oh, you've deconstructed to become a weed. Oh, you've walked away. Oh man, there's, uh, there's clarity, there's differentiation. So again, let me ask you, which are you, wheat or weeds? Romans chapter two verses three and four says, "Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape judgment of God?" I mean, this is just a verse about verse about that that time. Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Maybe right now you're like, actually, my life seems pretty good. I things. I've got the family. I'm well-supported. Like, I mean, the sun is out. That's amazing. I don't live in Washington. Praise the Lord, right? I'm super jealous, guys. I'm just going to tell you, right? But just because your life right now is going okay, this is the season where God's letting the weeds and the wheat grow together, and he's just being patient. So do not presume on the God of harvest. That the purpose of this parable is to call your eternity into question. That your destination will either be grilled or grain. And you're like, oh, is this really like a hellfire brimstone? Is this really a turn and burn? Y- yeah. Jesus' words here literally are turn or burn. That if you are wheat, excuse me, weeds, you will burn, he says. And I want to be clear, like, like a, I don't want this to be a, a heavy word. This parable is not a condemnation. This parable is a kindness. It's a kindness because it's bringing clarity about the eternal destinations of two spiritual groups of people. And in bringing that clarity, it's to stir your heart to ask real eternal questions about the condition of your soul and about your destiny for eternity. That for weeds versus wheat, that one is reliant on God for growth, one is going to be sustained, one is ultimately going to be brought, it says, into the presence of glory. That the other will face wrath and weeping and suffering. One of Jesus' disciples, um, Peter, says it this way in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. And so let's let's start in the plane here. Let's get to some applications. Let's close this out, right? For weeds, this parable absolutely is a call to repentance. The weeds need to repent and receive the grace of God, that God is patient and know. By God's grace, if you have breath in your lungs right now, there is hope for you spiritually. What that also means for your friends and family or whatever, coworkers that don't know Jesus, that means as long as there's breath, there's hope. We should pray. That there's a reason that God has you here today, that God's been patient with you. God is being patient with you. Like we should want and love that there's a merciful God who, when there's wheat and weeds, doesn't just instantly tear out the, the weeds. He's like, No, I'll let them grow for I'm gonna be patient. But this is your day to turn and trust God, who sows good seed. He's a God who turns bad seed into good and great stories of redemption. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, says it this way, those who are weeds today may be wheat tomorrow. Maybe what that means for you is you came in this morning spiritually as a weed. And through faith and trust in Jesus alone, as your savior king, you get to leave as wheat one with a destiny of destruction, the other with a destiny of glory. That's what God's calling you to today. For those who are like, no, no, I, I'm hearing this, my faith and trust is in Jesus alone. For if, you, if you are spiritually weak, then this, this parable is a call to evangelism, to endurance, and ultimately to exhale. It is a trust It's a call to trust the God of the harvest. That When the workers are like, let's just start pulling weeds. Let's just start really messing it up in here. Maybe let's just start over. Let's wipe it out. Let's just go. That God is such a great and gracious master of the harvest. That our job's not to determine who's in and who's out, who's wheat, who's weeds. It's a call to share the gospel, to tell other weeds It's okay to become wheat. There's hope to become wheat, to point people to eternal life in and with Jesus. We believe our God is in the business of turning life-sucking weeds into life-receiving worshipers through faith in Jesus Christ. It's also a call to take heart. I said endure, right? Take heart. God cares for the harvest. His care for the harvest is so great that he's like, I'm gonna let you stalks of wheat grow up even entangled with weeds. And yeah, there's gonna be seasons where it hurts. Like God knows sometimes there's difficulty in the church. God knows there's difficulty for you in the world. He's not aloof to it. He's not disconnected from it. He's just being patient because he knows, he knows you're going to grow empowered by him and you're going to produce fruit. You're going to produce that which is life-giving. So that means for us, when we engage with other sinners, when we deal with suffering, when we get harmed by others, when we suffer injustice, that is not uh, our cue to say God must not know, God must not care, God must be or not be around. No, it's to be reminded that he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it in the day of our Lord. He is a good master of the harvest, and he's being patient. He's aware and taking great care. Your pain and suffering, whatever it is, it will come to an end. So continue to look to Jesus as the author and perfecter of your faith, the one who desires and brings our glory, who sustains our life. And then finally, Christians, we get to exhale. In Christ, he says, glory is coming. Glory is your, ours, my destiny. So he doesn't say, well, the outcome of the harvest is the wheat's there. It's like, no, no, it gets brought into the barn. Like what that means is for all of us, we don't have to sort it out. We don't have to figure it out all the time. We don't have to worry we can exhale and know that we're going to be brought home into the barn, a place of safety and security you're not going to be consumed by weeds. There are times where the weeds of this world, the sin of this world will impact you and, and harm you, but know, exhale, that your destiny is home with the king when your faith is, is in Jesus. This parable is a call to assurance that your destiny is home, that Jesus sows life-giving and life-producing seed, and when he does, that seed secure. I will produce life. It will be brought safely home to where it ultimately belongs. Until that day, we evangelize, we endure, and we exhale as we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. God, you are good for us. Holy Spirit, I I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone in this room or everyone that's connected here at this church, but you do. And so Holy Spirit, I, I just pray for those spiritually who might be weeds that you would do what only you can do in that miraculous work of turning weeds into worshipers. This morning, that today, to this place, would be the moment where somebody says, oh, my my destiny is not destruction, but it is glory because my faith and trust is now in Jesus. God, for those of us who know you and love you, who might be discouraged, who might be disconnected, let us be empowered to evangelize, let us be encouraged to endure, and let us exhale to rest and trust in your character and nature as God of the harvest. God, you're good in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.